A rainy Wednesday here on the East Coast, but it is J6. That's April 6th. I'm Guy Adami. This is Market Call, always joined by Dan Nathan. Check this out because we teased it, as they say. In just a few minutes, John Butters, Senior Earnings Analyst at FactSet. Yes, that man, Butters, will be joining us. Today's episode is, oddly enough, brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And, of course, open exchange because they do manage the virtual meetings that matter for the top companies around the world. So on this rainy Wednesday, as the eve of baseball season, Yankees play Friday, by the way. Markets, I don't want to say it's in turmoil because that's not cool. But a rough day yesterday, Dan. A little bit of a sell-off today. We're going to get into it. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well, Guy. I think that your age sometimes, you like the idea of the prospect of turning back time, right? Mm. And so when I think about what's going going on in the markets right now, it really feels like late February, early March right here. When you think about just the high valuation names that have already been bludgeoned, you know what I mean? The the, the kind of way that they're getting hit right now, the way that bank stocks, we're going to talk about them in a little bit, are leading to the downside. Some of the things that are acting well in the stock market, guy, look at Walmart making a new all-time high. Costco doing the same. Kroger about ready to do the same. Feels kind of defensive in an inflationary environment. And then you obviously see pharma. You see the telcos. When's the last time Mm -hmm. you saw Verizon and AT&T trading the way they are? So I just think there's like a lot of interesting action. It feels like just in the matter of days, we have a whole heck of a lot of Fed-induced volatility in the stock market. What's interesting is share didn't need a chorus when she's saying, if I could turn back time. But yet there are a chorus of people calling for, let's say it, let's just flat it. See what I, did I see what you a did. A recession. Now let's just sort of slide it, Earl, and take a look at this. Because all of a sudden, yeah. all of a sudden, everybody's talking about it. Deutsche Bank predicts U.S. recession in 23 as the Fed boosts rates. Lizanne Saunders, Rosie, talk to me, Dan, because... These are not, I mean, these are mainline first tier people all pretty much saying the same thing. Yeah, I think the interesting thing about Deutsche Bank is that it's one of the first, I guess, bulge bracket banks, if they're still considered that, to call for a recession sometime in the next year or so. And obviously, if we hear a chorus, as you just mentioned, economists at the big banks start to predict recessions in 23, you're going to have some jump over each other to get them in there in 22, right? And I think what's important about those sorts of headlines is that it works its way into investor psyche. You know, We talk about a recession all the time. You mention it all the time. You've mentioned it for 10 years, right? In, in the wake of the, the, the financial crisis. It's not like a four-letter word. I mean, it's kind of like the natural goings-on in economics in a way. And, and so we need to actually have excess burned off. I guess the question for equity market investors is, does it mean that's going to correspond with a bear market or right. a protracted period of time with negative returns? And Rosie, you know, listen, we love David Rosenberg. He's been on our podcast on the tape. We quote his stuff often here he's basically saying look at the stock market you know you don't need the yield curve to tell you that a recession's coming if you look at the areas that are doing kind of poorly now obviously Lizanne Saunders comes at it with some different data here just curious is your thought because we're going to have lots of strategists weigh in strategists very different than economists right guy very different and listen Rosie lays it out for you it's a near perfect signal right now in terms of the stock that he's looking at home builders furnishing stock auto parts specialty retailers, collectively deep bear market. Nothing needs to be said. I mean, that's it. Near perfect signal. And again, 
I don't know if a recession means the market's going to sell off in a precipitous fashion. I have no idea. And to your point, Dan, I don't know what we fear. Recessions are a natural part of the business cycle. I would submit an essential part. My concern is, does a market sell-off, a precipitous market sell-off, cause a deeper recession? And I think that's what we're sort of setting up for. And we'll see how it sort of plays out. But I'll tell you, you start to look at some of these charts, and we'll take a look at the S&P chart. Yeah. It does not look all that rosy. See what I did there, Dan? Yeah, I, I, listen, I see what you did here. Amanda drew the line. She's getting excellent at that on our fact set charts here. But you see that level in the SPY that we caught some support. We didn't break that kind of, what was it, the low? It was like 4120 or something mm-hmm. like that guy intraday here. We didn't make a new low, actually, from February. I think that was one thing that the bulls were saying was pretty good. But if you look at that, it looks like, as Carter would say, call it whatever you want, a head and shoulders top. Now, here's the thing, okay? We did have a new high from February got through that kind of 4600 or 460 level if you're looking at the spy just the other day here and listen I know you know your chart formations sometimes that left shoulder looks like the sort of shoulder that you got mangled when you used to play football guy it has a couple rotator cuff surgeries right it had two shoulders on the left side that doesn't mean it's a bad formation here and to me you get that gap lower today after yesterday's really bad action and I'm saying to myself 4200s in the cards here guy Adami yeah I agree with that and you know my view on this and it's sort of the quasi-moto I guess of head and shoulders chart formations but it's also taken place after an all-time high we made obviously late last year I guess early this year thereabouts it's a really interesting looking chart and again the lines draw themselves as Carter say in this case it was Amanda Diaz great job by her but that support level is definitely has a bullseye on it. And I'll say once again, for emphasis, for you new folks joining us, 3750 lines up for a myriad of different reasons, which we will get into over the next couple of market calls. But that, to me, has a bullseye. Now, people say, oh, my God, that's devastating. No, it's not. I would submit if it happens over the next couple of months, it's probably the healthiest thing we could see for the stock market. And then I think it sets us up for a tremendous back half of the year. But that's something we'll talk about in the next couple of months or so, Dan. Obviously, you can't look at this without looking at its brother or sister or nephew or whatever. This actually looks a little bit worse because in that previous chart, and I don't want to say toggle because I know there are a lot of market call bingo players out there, although I just said it. This, obviously, that other shoulder did not take out those highs that we saw. Nice job on the toggle, by the way. Talk to me, Dan. Yeah, so the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100, one of the reasons why you know we spend a lot of time on this is that some of the biggest names, obviously, in the S&P 500, they make up a much greater weight in the NASDAQ 100, right? So you have those top four names, Microsoft, Apple, Google, and Amazon, and they make up 140% of the weight of the NASDAQ 100. But what you and I noticed on many occasions or referenced on many occasions over the last few months is that... Well, the S&P was making a new high the first week in January. The NASDAQ topped out in late November. We know there's dozens and dozens of stocks in the NASDAQ 100 that are down at least 50% from their 52-week or all-time highs. And while many of them have recovered a bunch, just what we would call a bear market rally, they're still down 50 or so percent after gaining 50% off those recent lows. So to me, when I think about the S&P down, I don't know, 5% or so from the highs, and I look at, or maybe it's getting about 6% with today's action and I look at the NASDAQ 100 down double
double that, you're seeing a lot of relative, like poor relative performance here. So to me, you know, if you just think about what's going on today in the major names in the NASDAQ here, I mean, man, Microsoft is down, you know, 10% from its highs. That's the worst acting of all of them. But Google, Amazon, Apple are only down, you know, about 5% from their highs. If they really get going to the downside and retest some of those lows, we might see those lows from last month or so. We might see a NASDAQ and an S&P that's also doing the same. And they have to lead to the downside here. I'm just curious, Guy, what's your thought on that? Because we want to drill down on some of the other names that had some really sharp rallies off the lows. But those four names are obviously the key to this whole puzzle. We lose the leadership, you know, and I'm going to say it in a serious way. If we could toggle back and sort of look again. I mean, if we were to lose these four names and then subsequently another four to six names, that make up sort of second tier. If you look at the chart, that prior chart, the QQQs, I mean, we're going to absolutely take out that prior low. So again, Carter talks about it all the time. You know, the generals are typically the last to go. Well, these four names are the generals. They start to seem to be slowing down and rolling over to your point. So that's what really concerns me the most. If you start to lose this, the speed I think will surprise some people. Yeah, and that's why I think we want to drill down on some of these other names that are basically retail favorites, and they're also hedge fund favorites too. Let's look at NVIDIA, which had a monster rally, and a lot of that rally um, over the last few weeks, um, they had an analyst day a few weeks ago. I think the guidance that they gave there, people felt pretty good about. The stock acted very well into it and and out of it for that matter. But look at it here now, Guy. It's had this pretty sharp decline. Over the last two days, the stock's down 10%. It's sitting right there on that 200-day moving average. Well, that's not particularly important. You know, if it blows through that, you know, you're likely to see those lows back, you know, somewhat just above $200 or so. And I think what's important is that the semiconductor index or the SMH, the ETF that tracks the stocks is down nearly 20% here. So that had a nice rally. So there was already some underperformance in the semi space. And you and I know this, man, it was a couple stocks last year that were driving most of the performance because Intel and Taiwan Semi, which are big components in the stocks, did not do a thing last year. It was AMD and it was NVIDIA. And right now, those stocks are not acting particularly well. And lastly, I'll just say this. I don't know if you caught this. Micron guy, and we talked about it maybe yesterday, which put up a good print and guidance last week. That stock has reversed 20% from its intraday highs the day after its earnings. I look at NVIDIA and we talked about it. And you know, the great thing about trading is stocks give you opportunities. I think it was, I want to say March 14th, maybe it might've been a few days before, but we talked about NVIDIA on Fast Money that night. I think we actually talked about it on Market Call as well. I think it traded down to 203, interday reversal closed higher on the day. And we said, you know, that set up really well for move, probably back to 275, shot through that. I think it almost got to 290 or thereabouts. And obviously it's seen this reversal. If you just quickly look at this chart, very defined downtrend from the all-time high in November, broke that downtrend, traded back through, testing the 200-day the moving average here. I would submit the following. That downtrend line that I can see in my eyes, and we'll draw it for you over the next couple of days on market call, probably now support comes in somewhere around 205, 210. Yeah. It looks like we're going to take it out if we break this 200-day. That's how you look at charts, and that's how you trade markets. The next one we have to look at, though, is Tesla. It's going to have sort of, it's not going to be similar, but again, traded down to 700. You had a huge move off that, a big volume day that day, traded right back up to this downtrend line. And now we're seemingly rolling over. I again would submit that sort of 880 level or thereabouts, probably closer to 900 with each passing day. 
that's going to be your support. And quite frankly, that's where it's going because, Dan, as you know, that was the prior all-time high way, way back, I want to say, in in February of 2020 or thereabouts. That's right, guy. Well, here's the thing, man. Well, it was in 2020. It was 2021. Yeah, that breakout. I lose track of time. It happens. It happens, man, at your age. But one of the things I think is really interesting about this stock in particular is that with a trillion-dollar market cap, this is not particularly trading on fundamentals at this point. We had the delivery data that came out the other day. Slightly disappointing, but in a challenging environment. And then all the sideshow with founder CEO Elon Musk with his Twitter bid. I mean, if you're a Twitter share or excuse me, a Tesla shareholder, do you really want to see him like spending so much time on this sort of stuff? But that line right there, a series of lower highs is pretty interesting. So to your point, if the markets get a little uglier, if the economy or the outlook for the economy gets a little weaker, if the idea of accessing some of the things, chips or the stuff that goes into their batteries becomes harder, this stock is back towards those levels that you were just talking about. It is really unfathomable in just about two weeks or so that 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 stock gained, what, $400 billion in market cap. So to me, that was a little curious. Stock ran over 50, 50% in about a two and a half week period of time. That's not, to me, that's not a sign of a healthy market. A question for you. Play along with me, please, Dan. Yeah, sure, buddy. Are you a Rudyard Kipling fan? Not particularly. I didn't read a lot as a kid, and that's not stuff that I probably would have read as an adult. I read a lot now, but, you know, to me, Rudyard Kipling seems really, I don't know, fairy tale-ish. Is yeah, that right, guy? That's, un- that's unfortunate. You <laughs> yeah. should read. By the way, yeah. any of you kids watching from elementary or middle school, <laughs> you should read every day. Well, he, of course, wrote The Jungle Book, and, you know, we can get into Ricky Ticky Tavi. You say, guy, what are you talking about? Well... This cat named Tavi, apparently, you've been trolling him in a major way. Well, first things first. Check this out. I mean, it's epic troll by Dan Nathan. Talk to me what's going on. No, 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 no. That's what what you said to me yesterday because he had tweeted out a chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield, and he was saying it was about to break out. It was like a 30-year chart, and I was asking, well, might it just be setting up for a failed breakout because the the veracity of that downtrend didn't speak to me that it was likely to break out. But this one today, listen, and I mean this sincerely. I mean, Tavi Costa, he's a great follow. He's got a lot of great data there, so check that out. But this chart is really interesting to me, Guy. You know, when you're looking for data points that help kind of support your theme, you know, ultimately you'll find them. But sometimes when you find them as big as this, the ISM manufacturing new orders versus corporate margins, what are we talking about with inflation? What are we talking about? We're going to talk with John Butters a little bit about this with earnings expectations. What are the ma- what's the major component to earnings? It's their margins, right? Yep. The ability for companies to kind of capture more earnings of their sales. And if costs, if input costs are higher, if wages are higher, if you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. Shipping and all that sort of stuff are higher. They have to make a decision, right, to pass through those costs to consumers at a time that are already dealing with higher inflation themselves or eat it and kind of like kind of work into corporate margins, which means lower earnings. And I think this is a really important one, which brings us back, Guy, to the chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury. And, and before we get there, just go, yeah. I'm sorry, toggle back real quick, because yeah. this goes back to 1995. You see how closely correlated yeah. Margins were with ISM. We are about two standard deviations away now. And I'm telling you, folks, if your hope is that that red line is going to somehow magically turn around and catch up to your RONG wrong, that white, that margin number is going to come down in a meaningful way. And that's going to have a meaningful impact on earnings. Just putting it out there. Slide it, Earl, please, because this is important. 
Right. So just give it to me, guy. I mean, like, again, you know, if you do this on a log basis, the, the chart looks like it's kind of broken that downtrend a little bit. But this way, it looks like it's kind of getting up to it. It's here nor there. I mean, listen, you know, you've said this on many occasions a month ago, guy, exactly a month ago, the 10 year U.S. Treasury yield traded as low as 1.63 percent. Today, it traded as high as 2.63 percent. That is an astronomic move in such a short period of time. And I have to think that, you know, those those that are basically selling treasuries, pushing yields higher, are just getting in front of what the Fed is increasingly hawkishly talking. But that doesn't mean that, that this is going to get way out of control, at least on the rate side of the near term. I'm just curious your take on rates here. I think one of the best, look, I, I'll tell you what, you know, again, I think the market's going to sell off. I've said that for a while. I've been wrong, but I do still say it. I mean, obviously, yields have moved up in a very precipitous way. I mean, 163 to 260 in about a month, to your point. I mean, that's not a healthy bond market. As a matter of fact, that's a broken bond market, a conversation for another time. But if the market does sell off, what you're going to see, again, is a flight to quality in the form of yields, which means 10-year yields will go lower. That I'm not saying it's going to get back to that green support line, but I think we sort of settle in somewhere between 2 and 2 and a quarter percent. And that inverted yield curve, that twos, tens, well, guess yeah. what? It's going to get even more inverted, Dan Nathan, which doesn't augur particularly well for our next segment, which is what? Banks. Wait, wait. I thought we agreed. We we're going to call it Bankapalooza next oh, week. I didn't know. I didn't all agree the to that. All the I ba- didn't agree to that. You all the said banks. It and I rolled my eyes. But go the, ahead. We got a lot of banks reporting next week, and they really act like dog, you know what, here, you know, especially after we had that really sharp rally. Many of the banks did not really participate in that. Let's just quickly go to the BKX, that's the, the KBW Bank Index, and you see just basically just a horrible performance over the last, you know, I want to call it a year. I mean, after we had that ramp, at the end of 2020, they really underperformed the S&P in a meaningful way. You see from a technical basis, the BKX looks like it's about to go below the hard deck guy. I know you're fired up for May 27th, mm-hmm. Top Gun, Maverick, and we are just going to ramp up the Top Gun quotes here. But you know what happens below the hard deck. Nothing good. Just ask Goose's kid who's going to be prominently featured in the sequel here guy look at jp morgan though this is the big kahuna this thing shows i mean it already broke below the hard deck it already looks like it's on its way to 120 what do you do with this thing here guy yeah i think that's exactly right and you know jp morgan which is the bank everyone loves i understand why jamie diamond's probably the best banker of our lifetime i will give him that without question but i think what we saw finally in jp morgan is valuation caught up to it as well and now it's just sort of finding what the right level is. And I think you're exactly right. See that little gap in the chart? Well, it comes in somewhere between 110 and 120. And I think that's probably where we're headed. Now, people will say, oh, my God, how can that happen? Watch and see. Because, you know, bank earnings might be okay, but the forecast might. And listen, look, don't listen to me. Go back and look at Jamie Dimon's letter that he just wrote. He is extraordinarily cautious. And quite frankly, he probably moderated it for the letter. He's probably a lot more cautious than he's letting on. So I think you're exactly right to point this out. By the way, You've been pointing it out now for a while, Dan Nathan. Well, I have. You know, another thing I caught my eye today, guys, like Blackstone down 10% in two trading days. And I don't really, you know, again, I know that's a name that you've been really constructive on. It's been a monster stock and you've been really on it for years now. But I just like when I sort of see that disconnect, there's things that should that affect the bank stocks that shouldn't really affect Blackstone, right? Sometimes what's what's bad for the bank stocks should be good for them. So I like to pay attention when you see that sort of performance. All right, guy, we got to do it. No, I know. I mean, we got to. 
said, you got to bring him in. You want to bring him in? You want me to do it? You, you do it. I, I really feel like this is your moment. Because... Well, it is my moment. And we have a lot of questions from the audience, but I, I can't get to them because without further ado, I can't spell it. John Butters, man. I got to tell you something. We've been doing this for a while. I just call him Butters, and it's not out of disrespect. It's because when you can give somebody one name like Bono, the aforementioned Cher, Sting, those types of people. I mean, rock you're stars. Elite. Rock, rock stars. stars. Well, yeah. bring them in, Dan Nathan. Well, there he is. And listen, John you know what? Butters, John, we have the benefit. You know, we we are very happy to have FactSet as a sponsor of Market Call on you know, a couple days a week. And we get to look at your earnings insight, a preview of it on Thursdays usually. So we appreciate you doing this here. We got a lot to talk about because as we get into earnings season, I would have told you this. I would have expected some negative pre-announcements. You've been talking about earnings insight blog you know the fact that we are seeing some some greater than usual right negative sort of guides here but we haven't had anybody pre-announced talk to us about your feeling as we enter into q1 earnings season and the data that you're following is there anything on a high level from a sentiment standpoint that leads you to believe that the next few weeks could be really uncertain because maybe just maybe you know corporates are looking out and they're saying their visibility is as clear as mud you know first off thanks for having me on so appreciate it yeah so coming into this earnings season Companies and the analysts have definitely been more pessimistic in their outlooks for the first quarter compared to recent quarters. So and looking at that, we can look at two things. We can look first from the company perspective and guidance. And so far, 67 companies in the S&P 500 have issued negative guidance. Now, that number in, by itself isn't really that far off the averages. The 10-year average is 66. But this is the highest number we've seen since the fourth quarter of 2019. And it's the third straight quarter in which negative pre-announcements have gone up. And we've seen increases in the tech sector and the industrial sector. And then from the analyst side, we saw estimates, overall estimates for earnings for the S&P 500 come down about 1% during the quarter. So again, not a concern when you look at it versus long-term averages. Typically, we see that number come down 3 to 5%. But again, the first time that earnings have come down going back to the second quarter of 2020. So definitely, we're seeing somewhat of a reversion to the mean with the guidance becoming more negative and more estimate cuts. That's not something we've seen over the past, say, five to six quarters. Which is pretty interesting. I mean, you're going back a year, year and a half now, and now all of a sudden you're starting to see it. Let me ask you this. Is this a one, historically, things like this a one-off, or is this the beginning of something? In other words, you know, we're talking about 67 now. Are we talking about 90 next quarter? Is that going to continue its trajectory? Well, from the guidance side, that clearly appears to be the trend. Like I said, it's been three quarters in a row. So again, we can't make a prediction, but but that's been the trend the last couple of quarters of more and more companies giving negative guidance, fewer companies giving positive guidance. What is interesting on the revision side, while we did see the numbers come down for the first quarter, analysts did raise their estimates for the remainder of the year. And, we, and we're expected to see a sequential improvement in earnings going over the next couple of quarters. So although numbers came down for Q1, Estimates for the 2022 and 2023 continue to rise during the first quarter. They both were up about 2%. Now, energy was a big driver of that, but still, you know, there is some optimism there that while the Q1 numbers are coming down, estimates for the rest of the year and for next year were coming up. 
Yeah, well, interestingly, you know, John, you and I have had this conversation in the past. It was a, I think this was an expression guy that we probably used to hear all the time, you know, back after the dot com kind of implosion. And you probably used to cringe guy at this. Remember the whole back half loaded sort of thing? That's oh. how kind of analysts would kind of explain away their full year guidance in what was maybe a poor period of visibility or poor execution. And, you know, I hate hearing that. Now, John, when you tell me that, you know, Energy earnings are a big component of that. We know that they've basically been a small component of the entire S&P earnings over the last 10 years or so. That doesn't make me feel particularly optimistic, especially when you consider what a big part of S&P earnings come from the top names, right? And so if you think that there's a potential that they've really pulled forward a lot of demand, and we know what the big tech names are, if they were to slow down, if Europe were to go into recession, you know, Guy mentions this all the time, the eurozone is bigger economy than the u.s then we're not going to be far behind it so i guess my question is what do you think the chance and and i'm actually you don't have to tell us this but i'll just say this 227 228 which is the current consensus for s p earnings for 2022 as we are literally going to be you know four months into it by the time we get most of s p earnings that seems like a dream to me so is there a sense that we might see an acceleration of guide downs for 2022 as we get into, let's say, May and the bulk of S&P earnings? Well, we'll say two points on that. So one, although most of the upward revisions for the second half of the year and for next year were energy related, you know, we did see estimates come up for other sectors. The tech sector did see a small increase. Healthcare saw, saw a small increase. Materials as well. So energy was the main driver, but there were other sectors where numbers came up for the second half of the year and for the full year. You know, but to your point, there's certainly a number of risks, risks out there that could impact second half earnings, obviously inflation, supply chain, labor shortages. Another thing to keep in mind is that it's, you know, we're, we're talking about an interest rate hike from the Fed over the next couple of months. It's likely that there's not rate hikes baked into the estimates at this point in time. Analysts do tend to wait for events to happen before revising their estimates. So that's one thing to keep an eye on that. You know, we know that an interest rate hike will benefits companies in the financial sector from an earnings perspective. It tends to be negative for most other sectors as it raises their borrowing costs. And like I said, analysts typically wait for events to occur. They're usually not ahead of the curve on things like interest rate hikes. So that is something to keep an eye on as we look at these expectations for the rest of the year. JB, I want to take a look at two of your slides. So first one's earnings growth. I mean, you can get a little alchemy in terms of earnings and earnings growth. I'm going to take a look at that slide that you brought with us. And obviously, that doesn't augur particularly well. You see, to your point, where energy has been. But you know, the rest of these sectors, not great. The one I really want to drill down, though, is revenue growth, because this is what it is. I mean, revenue is what it is. You talk all you want, but revenue is really the driver here. And look at some of these numbers in terms of revenue growth for the first quarter of 2022. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this heavily driven by energy, but you go across the you go across the rest of the space and it doesn't look particularly robust to me. Thoughts? Yeah, well, revenues were interesting. So unlike earnings, analysts actually raised revenue estimates during the course of the quarter. So if we go back to December 31st, the expectation was for 9.7% growth. Now we're up to 10.7% growth today. And again, as you noted, energy was a big part of that. But I think some of this as well is companies' ability to raise prices in light of the higher costs they're seeing. So even though 10.7% would be the lowest revenue growth we've seen of the last year or so, it would still be the fifth straight quarter of double-digit growth. And we rarely see double-digit growth in revenues for the S&P 500. So again, I think some of this reflects abilities companies to raise prices to mitigate some of the costs, because as we're, you know, 
we're continuing to see revenue growth above long-term averages. Typically, over the last 10 years, revenue growth has been about 4%. So revenue growth is staying above average while earnings growth is below average at this point in time. Well, let's talk about this for a second because 2020, you know, you know, the first half of that year, I think, you know, anybody, you know, who said they had a clue about what was going on in, in the economy, the global economy and the markets, you know, they were certainly lying to you, but the market just continued to push higher once we kind of got into the late spring and in the summer, there was definitely some palpitations in and around the election and before the vaccines. But, but last year was really interesting to me. It was much more interesting because it was literally bottom left to upper right. It was the first year of the S&P 500. It was one in five in the last like 40 years or so that did not have a 10% peak to drop decline. Now, we had that this year. But one of the things what, to me about 2021 is that we had Delta and we had Omicron. And now when you think about what's going on with the war, it's serving as a certain, like a similar sort of thing. And when you look out at China, that they locked down Shanghai, 26 million people. Now, hopefully that gets you know opened up again. But to me, I think we have all of the conditions that we have in 2021. But here's the thing. We have a stock market that's lower. This leads me to believe investors don't believe that consensus earnings number for the S&P 500. So I'm just curious is, is you know, and, and, and again, going back to what we talked about before, John, is like, do, does a bear market have to coincide with recession expectations? Or if we were to get a recession in the back half of the year, does a bear market actually have to happen too? Well, you know, again, from the earnings perspective, like we talked about, there's still a lot of optimism out there for the second half of this year and for into next year. Um, like we said, growth is still expected to be 10% for 2022 and 2023. And what's interesting, if you look at ratings and target prices, analysts are still very optimistic going forward. So we, we just did a piece on this on Tuesday. 50% of the ratings in S&P 500 companies are buy ratings. That's the, that's the highest percentage in over 10 years going back to 2010. If you look at the target price, they're calling for about a 16% increase in target price. So, you know, I, I hear your question on where the market may or may not go, um, you know, with all these risk factors involved. But from the industry analyst perspective and from an earnings perspective, there's still a lot of optimism out there. You know, there's no indication from an earnings perspective of a downturn. Now, again, we pointed out, you know, likely not have interest rate hikes baked into these numbers. And we're continuing to see the things we talked about, inflation, supply chain. We know over three and four or nearly three and four S&P 500 companies talked about these factors in the last earnings season. So certainly some certainly red flags to keep an eye on, but the overall numbers are still very optimistic for this year and for next year. Well, John, you know, that's an old saying, you know, we report, you decide. I mean, your, your work stands on its own. It's amazing work. It's thoughtful work. And then I guess people like Dan and myself look at it and then we decide what we think the markets do on the back of it. But as they say, that's what makes markets. Your work, though, is just absolute data broken down so people can understand it. And we're thrilled that you're able to provide it to us each week and pretty much for all your facts at audience on a pretty regular basis. So thanks for joining us, John. We're definitely going to have you back again if that's cool with you. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. Thanks again for promoting the charts. And again, keep an eye out for Earnings Insight and the Insight blog this Friday. We'll have new content about where the final growth rate for the first quarter will likely end up. If we have a good earnings season, we could see up to 10 to 13% growth overall for Q1. Thanks, John. Thank you, John. That's awesome. You the man. I tried to keep it to 30. I was a minute over. Don't kill me <laughs> at me, whatever the kids say on Twitter. Thanks again to John Butters for joining us. Thanks again to our sponsors, FactSet, and of course, Open Exchange. Now, check this out because I just found out about this like over the last couple hours. Dan and I, of course, we'll be back tomorrow. I don't know if it's going to be 1 or 12.30. We decided 12.30. 12.30. 12.30. That's 12:30. what I thought. So tomorrow, 
at 12.30, new time. Check your watches, peeps. Half hour earlier, we're going to be with Liz Young from SoFi, EY from SoFi. Special edition of Market Call, live from, watch what I do here, Dan, Credit Suisse with an I. We'll see you people later. (laughs) See ya.